What's up, Lions of Liberty fans? You can now support this show on Patreon and get exclusive access to bonus audio and video content, including Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, bonus segments with guests, and so much more. Head on over to patreon.com slash Liberty. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday, a weekly show right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, Felony Friday is the only show where each and every single week I focus on exposing injustice in this nation's broken criminal justice system. This is only one of three shows that we have here on the Lions of Liberty podcast network. We kick off every single week with a show hosted by Mark Clare. It's our longest running program, our flagship program. Mark interviews leaders in the Liberty movement and he hosts roundtable discussions. Every Wednesday, we have a show called Electric Liberty Land hosted by Brian McWilliams. It is a hilarious show. Brian does a great job with it, and it is your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty. So I want to make one quick announcement before we get started today. In today's episode, I'm bringing on a friend of mine, and we're going to be talking about the new prison reform bill. Very, very important stuff. Before I get to that, I want to talk to you about something else that is also very important and hilarious. You don't want to miss this opportunity. This is a a great prime opportunity right here. So one of our Pride members has purchased, for Mark Clare, the host of our Monday show, some hot sauce for Mark to host an Ask Me Anything hot sauce challenge, where Mark will eat escalating escalating heat of hot sauce, different hot sauces, and answer questions from Pride members. So in order to, to uh, participate in this, this will be a live video that Mark is doing, obviously. In order to participate, you got to join the Lions of Liberty Pride. If you want to see Mark, the shining beacon of liberty, as he calls himself, if you want to see him maybe actually turn into a real-life shining beacon and catch on fire, um, you got to join the Pride. And to do that, you go to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty for as little as $5 a month. You get, bam, you get in that live, you get all our bonus content. If you want to do 10, 15, 25, you get a lot of other stuff all the way up to 25. You get a monthly conference call with us. It's a freaking blast. It's a good time. So if that wasn't good enough, on top of that, if you join the Pride right now, you're listening to this on Friday, the, what's it, the 23rd, I think it is, the day after Thanksgiving, you have until Sunday at midnight. Until Sunday at midnight, so that's what, the 25th. Uh, If you join the Pride before then, we're going to give you a free, free, that's right, no questions asked, free shirt, our 5th anniversary Lions of Liberty t-shirt. The design is on our our, uh, store, which you can go to lionsofliberty.store to see it. It's the first shirt down there. It's fantastic. It's all three logos. You can't lose. You can't lose. You join the Pride, you get the shirt, 
And you get that at five dollars too. Plus, if you you know join at ten, we give you other merchandise. This is in addition to all the other stuff that you get. Just to be clear. Also, anybody who wants to upgrade their account at this time from five to ten, ten to fifteen, fifteen to twenty-five, whatever, you get the uh, the free five-year anniversary Lions of Liberty podcast shirt. So check it out, Lions or Patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Today's show. Today's show is the 151st episode of Felony Friday. You can find the show notes page with links and notes to everything I'm going to discuss with my guest today at lionsofliberty.com slash FF151. Let's get rolling with this interview. My guest today on Felony Friday is Rocky Ferenberg. This is actually Rocky's second appearance on Felony Friday. He uh, was on the show I think back on episode 107, so about 40-some episodes ago, when he was sharing his story, his own personal experience um, that he experienced within the criminal justice system, uh, had a bit of a crim- criminal record and struggled with addiction. Rocky is clean now. He's been clean for six years. He uh, has a bunch of degrees. He plays in a rock band. He has his own podcast called The Noisemaker Podcast. Plus, this past year, he ran for state rep. So we'll talk about that as well. Rocky, welcome back to Felony Friday. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me again. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for coming on, man. And before we get started talking about it, and I wanted to bring you on, I guess I'll say this first, uh, to talk about this prison reform that everyone's talking about now. Finally, prison reform has gone mainstream with the First Step Act. Uh, I want to talk about that. But before we get into that stuff, I just want to talk about your setup right now. Those of you that are watching this on YouTube can can kind of see see where you are, but where, where are you right now? I'm uh, sitting in my semi truck. I drive uh, I drive it for the regional states in the northwest here, and uh, so I'm actually sitting in the sleeper area of my semi truck. Recording from the road is that is that the the name I said that you said would be a good <laughs> podcast name? Recording from road recording, yeah, something re- like that. Yeah, recording from the road. I think that would be a, a great uh, podcast just to, uh, you know, get on their rant and rave and talk a lot of shit, you know. <laughs> so it's basically what most podcasts are. So, <laughs> right in. But, uh, yeah, so uh, how'd your state rep race go? How'd that shake out? Uh, you know, I, I didn't uh, I didn't pull out a big W, but um, I ran as a, as a Republican in the uh, primary. And the lady that I ran against, she, her husband was retiring. So, she, of course, you know, as an anniversary gift, they figured that they would give the uh, position away to her. And so, you know, I, I ran against her, opposing her. And, uh, you know, she'd been in uh, government for about 10 years. And I'd been in government for about seven months. And I pulled about a third of the – because it's, rep- it's a closed primary. So I pulled about a third of the Republican vote just in the primary. So I'm thinking I might run again. There was enough support there that I think uh, think it's worth a shot at, as, as a uh, third party candidate or an independent next time, maybe. It, it was a, uh, from what I remember looking at your Facebook posts. It was a pretty contentious uh, primary there. A lot of mudslinging back and forth. They were going after you quite a bit, weren't they? <laughs> uh, she was a lot more cordial. Her husband has been infamous for. Yeah. Um, for mudslinging, which is one of the reasons why I thought he would be a perfect target because as long as you had, you know, as long as you maintained your cool, um, you know, he, he looks more like an asshole. I look more, you know, well-centered. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I had, I had my own jabs. A lot of my jabs had to do, do, uh, had to do with their, uh, uh voting record and, uh, the, 
the way they basically conducted themselves. So um, it wasn't necessarily like he called me a druggy candidate. And so, I mean, that doesn't have anything to do with who I am today or my mm-hmm. policies. So, you know, it's once again, mudslinging on one side and I try to stick to a lot of the, the facts and, and solid arguments on my side. Yeah, hopefully there's a lot of people who, uh, who see through that. And I mean, I get, obviously there were, you got about a third of the vote. So that's, that's good progress, man. Congrats to you for, for pulling that off. You did a lot better than a lot of the libertarian candidates did in this, uh, this past election cycle. So. Yeah, I tried to help out some of the uh, libertarian candidates over here, but it seems like I did a lot of research before I ran as a Republican, and it seemed like a lot of the libertarian candidates, at least here in Idaho, were just running to simply keep um, ballot access. And so the 0.7% uh, that they were polling uh, statewide is not a real number because it's it, it, nobody's running a real real race. Everybody's just running just to keep ballot access, which mm-hmm. I mean, if, I mean, that's the bare minimum, you know what I mean? And I don't know why anybody is, is not doing more, but the few people that I have talked to that are really the, you know, hardcore anarcho capitalists are at least here in Idaho are a lot of the people that don't believe in voting. So those people aren't going to turn out to vote, you know, it's, it's rough, but it is what it is. You just got to keep fighting a good fight, you know? Yeah, it's tough. How do you get rid of government if you're not going to vote against government getting bigger? But that's that's a discussion for another day, probably. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, sure. man, uh, like I said at the top, I you know, wanted to have you on uh, to talk about this First Step Act, to talk about prison reform in general, being that you're somebody who's who's been through it. You know, it looks like, I don't know what your opinion is off the bat right now, it looks like this is going to happen. I think possibly during the, uh, the lame duck session here, if not, Pretty quickly, I would think, during the new session. I'm not really sure what's holding it back now other than maybe uh, – I mean, Mitch McConnell just has to really bring it to the floor of the Senate. It's past the House, right? McConnell's got to bring it to the floor. Yeah. People are saying that they have have the 80 votes. So but, but, do you have any idea what's holding this thing up? Why, why isn't it Why isn't it law right now? Uh, I, I honestly don't have any idea on what's actually holding it up at this point, but you are right. It has passed the house uh, and it is in the, is going to the Senate or is in the Senate. And uh, it's got the endorsement from uh, Donald Trump. The only thing that I'm thinking is that, uh, you know, you might, you might get some of these uh, people that are still clinging to being never Trumpers and you still might get some uh, Democrats, despite the fact that Democrats normally would vote for a bill like this. You might get some that kind of stand up in opposition of Trump just because it's his bill. And you get some of these people, like I said, you know, are playing these, this party politics, despite the quality of the bill or despite if, you know, all the Democrats would vote for this if it was passed, if it was propositioned by uh, Obama, but you know, you're probably going to have some that aren't simply because, Trump's the one that endorsed it. So it's unfortunate that we can't get good legislation passed. I mean, if they were going to, or whenever they always renew the, um, the Patriot Act and whatever type of uh, uh, name they want to disguise it as, uh, they should sure get on board to uh, pass that through right away or any type of spending bill, they can pass that through right away. But something like this, they all of a sudden resort back to their party politics. So, I mean, that would be my best guess at this point. Yeah. Well, there is a, uh... Also, Senator Tom Cotton, Republican out of Arkansas. I'm sure you're familiar with him a little bit. Big time yes, neocon, big time anti-war guy, big time anti—not anti-war. He's very <laughs> pro-war, very anti—you um, know—anti-drugs and in favor of uh, the prohibition on drugs, all that stuff. And he's obviously couching this as 
you know, they're letting out dangerous criminals. Letting out dangerous. This bill would, you know, let dangerous criminals out. And an interesting aspect of this is it's sort of pitted Lindsey Graham on the side on the side of liberty of defending liberty and rolling this back against Tom Cotton. And I mean, Lindsey Graham has some pretty good quotes out there right now. I don't know if you've seen yeah. them um, talking about he's been urging Mitch McConnell to put this bill on the floor, uh, pretty much promising that there are the eighty votes and they'll get most of the Republicans and all the Democrats. So, yeah, like you said, I'm not sure what's holding up. It's probably some stupid party politic bullshit where Tom Cotton has some sort of pull in these committees. And I don't know. It could be different donors tied to it who don't want this to happen right now. God only knows. But let's talk about like actually what this bill would do. I know the, the version that went through the House wasn't quite as robust as the one that is uh, making its way through the Senate. They know they've tacked on a little bit of stuff. Um, I think in the Senate, what did they add on? This, yeah, the Senate The Senate version would reduce sentences for nonviolent offenders and first-time drug offenders and reduce mandatory minimum sentences for certain drug offenders. I think the House version was more focused more on people already in prison and setting up programs for them to, like on a point basis, good behavior, education yeah. and whatnot, to be able to get out sooner. So how much do you know about the, the actual nitty-gritty of these bills here? I haven't seen a lot of the stuff from the, the reforms. The stuff that I did have in my notes about the, the reforms, or at least from the House bill to the Senate, was I know that they were, uh, at least in the House bill, one of the things I was a big fan of was that they were going to retroactively um, uh, apply some of these uh, – uh, changes like for crack cocaine laws and mm-hmm. stuff like that back to, I think it was uh, back to crimes from like 83 or something like that. So they were actually going to let out a bunch of people that have been in prison for uh, possession crimes, um, you know, right now. But I know that they did away with all the stuff that had to do with retroactively fitting this bill to previous um, uh, drug convictions, which like I said, personally to me, I think that's pretty unfortunate because you're going to have these people, if this goes through, um, you're going to have like these lesser sentences, but you're going to have all these people that are still serving these uh, uh, mandatory sentences for crimes that are now, you know, not as harsh. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's pretty unfortunate that, you know, you get convicted one year and, and it's, you know, this, this, uh, 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 this amount of time. Now all of a sudden you get convicted and you're serving a completely different sentence. But, and, you know, it should really go back and try to adjust all the uh, all the damage that was done by uh, the Clinton years, you know, and mm-hmm. the war on drugs and all this, all these other garbage, all these other garbage policies. The cannabis industry has rapidly expanded for those liberty lovers who want to take advantage of this growing industry. They've been met with a flood of government taxes and regulation. A lot of cannabis companies would just love to hire a full-time CFO, but that could be super, super expensive. But what if you could have the knowledge and experience of this full-time CFO at a fraction of the cost? If you're in the cannabis business or you plan on entering the fray, then you need to schedule a free consultation with the Grow CFO, Rachel Kennerly. The Grow CFO will help to maximize cost of goods sold deductions by employing accrual and cost accounting, creating tax savings and improving cash flow. They will keep your books in an audit-ready state. If you or someone you know is either already in the cannabis industry or thinking about jumping in the fray, go to thegrowcfo.com and schedule a free consultation today. 
Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I know with a lot of the reforms, like in in California at the state level, for I think it's I think it was Prop Forty Seven off the top of my head. I think that's what it was. It was a couple of years ago. It was, it was a similar thing where they said going forward, you know, these are the laws. We're not going to lock you up if as long as you're possessing less than this amount, whatever it was, some arbitrary number. But in order for the people who either had, you know, had either were still in the system or had gone through the system and been out and wanted to get expungement, they had to go through this long, you know, paper trail of submitting all this paperwork and probably paying a lawyer to do it and all, the, all this different stuff, rather than just saying, you know, let's if if it, if going forward this is the law, let's just fix these records going back. You know, but they made the people actually do work to to do it, which I'm sure a lot of people didn't either because they didn't know how to or because they didn't have the the funds to pay, you know, an attorney to help them do it, which is unfortunate. But w- one of the things that, you know, I think is interesting with this, so I think this will pass, and I think it's a great thing. I think the, the people who are in prison right now who will retroactively get out, it's going to be great for them. What I'm worried about is sort of the backlash to it because a lot of these people have been in prison for 10, 15, 20 years on these nonviolent crack cocaine offenses or or whatever, other drug offenses. They'll get out, but they've been in prison. They've been, obviously it's it's not a good environment in there, right? They're not picking up any skills. Some people are getting skills in prison, but it's easy to skate by get involved with the wrong crowd and really let your life go to shit. So if these people get out and you're going to see them get in more trouble, commit crimes and whatnot, the first thing you're going to see is um, people who are dissidents to this bill will point back and say, ah, we never should have let them out. It's terrible. We let them out. When in fact, the problem is the goddamn prison system in the first place that made them this way. But what, what, what thoughts do you have on that? Especially coming from, from your perspective, somebody who's, who's been in the system. So you see what happens. Well, the thing about prisons is that, and this is going to sound kind of funny, but there's, there's safer prisons and then there's prisons that are a lot more unsafer. And so, you know, like, so the prison setting in Idaho, you could actually, you could actually go up to do a bid and uh, you could actually stick to yourself. You want to actually have to click up for any type of um, uh, safety or reasons or anything like that, especially people that are in there for nonviolent crimes. You'd be on the farm or the yard. So you'd be at more of a minimum, you know, medium security prison. Just, Most just of the time to, you could just kind of. Just to explain so people understand what you mean. What, when, when you mean click up, what do you mean by that? So typically uh, a general scenario in a prison would be uh that you would basically be approached by a group of people that uh are look like you you know by your skin color and you would typically have to uh, associate click up with them uh get together with them and you would be in a position where you had to sell drugs or commit crimes with inside and in, in return you did have a level of protection and a level of safety and security and you were part of a group because most prisons if you're by yourself um you are going to get uh you will get raped you will get uh beat up you'll get all your stuff taken from you lunch your commissary if you get it i mean it's just it it, you can't fly by yourself now idaho is a lot different idaho is really really uh particular on making sure that they have one of the safest prisons out there which you know is good i i I mean this it was nice it wasn't like i wasn't worried a bunch whenever i was there personally um but uh 
You know, I mean, that's not the same place for that. That's not the same situation for everybody else. And so, yeah, you have these prisons where these, these people, they get clicked up with a group. Um, you know, they get clicked up with a native brotherhood or the, uh, you know, the Aryans or the Peckerwoods or, you know, all these different groups and they have to do things in there in order to survive. And then they learn this, this whole different way of life and they get out and here they are thrown back into the real world. But the way they've been living for the last 10, 15 years is completely antisocial. Mm-hmm. And so they chalk this back up to being, well, these drug addicts are antisocial people and they're really not antisocial. They've just been put in a situation where they have to live a specific way. So, I mean, yeah, a lot of these, a lot of programs they have where they, they bridge people back into the community. Uh, I'm usually in a uh, support of that. It's just unfortunate that a lot of these, a lot of these programs are government run as well. And so they're, they're low, you know, they're poor quality programs, but I mean, that's, that's kind of what, from what I was gathering from this bill, that's kind of where a lot of this bill kicks in. I mean, it has the mandatory minimums. It allows for the discretion. Okay. So let's interject here. Cause th- there's, as far as what I understand with this bill too, this is only really addressing federal crimes. This isn't even state crimes. And so we're talking about, I think the numbers I had was like 183,000 federal prison, federal prisoners, uh, out of the 1.5 million people we have incarcerated right now. And so, I mean, we're talking about, uh, what is that? 12%. And then it's not even going to actually affect all 12% of those. Is, is, that, is that really it? Because aren't, aren't 40, I think 47% of federal inmates are in for some sort of nonviolent offense. But maybe yeah, you're saying this this is not gonna. It's only gonna impact twelve percent of the total number. So you're still gonna have thirty percent of nonviolent offenders or whatever it is that this does not help. Okay, so so what I'm saying is that there's a hundred. The numbers that I found will say that there's a hundred and thirty, hundred eighty three thousand people that are incarcerated in the federal system, and that's a uh, hundred and eighty three thousand uh, people of the one of uh, the one point five million. So in the federal system we have 12% of the prison population. And so only a percentage of those people. So if it is 40, then we're going to have 40% of those 12% are going to be affected by this bill. So, but what I'm getting at, whether it's 40% or whatever the case may be, Mm -hmm. I mean, we're still looking at probably what six, 7% of the population of the prison population are actually going to be benefiting from this bill. So it's just, it's just a small percentage, which I mean, it's fine because it's, it's called the first step act. Well, because they like acronyms. And if you looked up the act, I didn't bother to learn the acronym. It is ridiculous, but that's basically what this is. It's a first step. And besides the mandatory minimums, a lot of this bill from what I read is trying to help people on the back end. It's trying to help people get out of prison a lot sooner, trying to help, Mm -hmm. you know, create, programs within the prison system and afterwards in order to have them transition back out of prison. Um, you know, it, it's allowing for, uh, you know, like you said, a point system that allows for them to be able to get some good time. I mean, it's, it, besides the fact that this is going to allow the government, uh, what I think I have the numbers somewhere in here, it was something. So I had a couple different numbers in here. So I was because I was trying to figure out the cost of this because they're going to implement programs which is going to come at the cost of the taxpayer as well. Yeah, I mean, you're never going to get away all, with the cost the always bill. goes up, right? It cost never comes down when yeah, <laughs> no matter what the government does. So, so I I found that the Bureau of Prison Officers and employees are going to provide training and require continuing education, and of course uh, this will be provided by the tax at the expense of the taxpayers. The job training and education programs in the prison. One number I saw is. 
$375 million in new federal funding. And then right from the website, the actual firststep.org, I saw that it claimed that the bill authorizes $250 million over five years for development and expansion of program. So Vox actually quoted a lesser amount. They said that it would be $50 million for programs. And so I wasn't able to find an actual exact number, although I think the, I think the honest number that they're anticipating is probably from the firststepact.org which is the 250 million. Uh, but I mean, what, what is it? Let's double that or triple that. So it probably costs, you know, what, 750 million in real, in reality, if the government's budgeting 250, probably 750 in the long run. Probably. You know? Yeah. So, uh, so a lot of this money is going towards what they're going to put it into education programs and, um, ways for inmates to get treatment. I guess, I guess the one thing is they don't want, uh, federal inmates be released and still have addictions, right? I think that's a part of the act. So I guess some of it's going towards to treat addiction, things like that. So, yeah, some of the money that I saw was going towards job training and education. And, of course, with these types of uh, being a counselor or, or be working in the prison, uh, dealing with anything that has to do with ethics, you always have to take continuing education units or take continuing education classes. So part of the money I'm sure will be going towards that along with also uh, the development and expansion of other types of programs, probably uh, along the lines of therapeutic communities, uh, job readiness, budgeting and buying. Those are some of the classes that I took as, you know, Mm -hmm. as I was up there. Plus they try to help uh, uh, a lot of times prisons will try to help people that don't have their GED or uh, high school education, get a GED whenever you know, so they get out and at least have a high school education. Um, I mean, I'm sure that the prisons, <laughs> I'm sure that the prisons teach just as good high school education as any other high school around here, you know? <laughs> You're probably right. I don't think it's a, it's not a, not a great uh, ringing endorsement, but it's probably true. But I think uh, one, uh, one guest I had on recently, Michael Monsivice, who he's, I think he's getting out within the next week. Right now he's in a halfway house, but well, he and he was able to come on the show while he was still in the halfway house, which was pretty cool. But while he was in prison, he helped to uh, start a a welding program. So when he was before he got arrested again, he was a welder, got arrested on drug charges. When he went in, he uh, got certified. I guess he got certified again again as a welder. Then approached. I, I don't know how how he was able to to work the program in, but he was able to teach welding and teach these his fellow inmates how to weld to get certified once they get out that they're ready to go on the street, which I think is awesome. And I would love for more for this program to give more money to things like that, which I'm, I'm afraid it's not going to. And I would love it to go towards you know more private companies. I know somebody like yourself who's also you know, maybe not a Big Al Libertarian, but a uh, yeah, Libertarian Republican. You want more private enterprise involved in everything, right? So you want private companies, private individuals to be able to come in and help to build some of these programs. Maybe some people who have been through the system who understand what the flaws are, understand where the holes are, um, to be able to help to to educate prisoners to get ready for the outside because they've been through it. They understand what it, what it takes. Well, and that's... That's a good point. And actually, another thing that they had in here uh, is that they do allow formerly incarcerated people to serve as volunteers and mentors. So not quite at the point that you're talking about, Mm -hmm. but I I think in the longevity of this, we'll see that these people that are coming, these people that are coming out of prison are are going to, as long as these classes and everything work the way that they're ideally supposed to work. But basically, 
it's not necessarily if the classes work the way that they're supposed to work because the, the thing about addiction that uh, politicians and everybody misses is that you can't uh, you can't love somebody into sobriety you can't um, you can't legislate them into sobriety. Sobriety is something that people have to choose. They have, they have to want to do this. It's, it's a choice. You can't just make it happen just because you want it to. And so once you have enough people that go through the program that are serious enough about this and wish to give back, which most people that get clean and sober want to give back, they want to help. Um, it, they have an element in here, and I don't know exactly the, the details, all I have in my notes that it allows for formerly incarcerated people to serve as volunteers and mentors. And so I, I believe what they're going to try to do is once you get the first couple waves of people through there that are taking the program serious and want to give back, they can come back and actually um, help be volunteers and mentors, kind of help guide the, the people that are coming out through the programs, you know, kind of help them guide them back into society, which I think is great because those are the people that, that, you know, I'll tell you a story real quick. When I got out, we, you know, we talk a lot in addiction and treatment about serotonin and dopamine and how it affects the brain. And I remember getting out and uh, it was probably the second day I was out. And <clears throat> I went up to the grocery store to just get some lunch. And uh, I got some fresh fruit because I haven't had fresh fruit in, you know, months. And uh, and so I get this, you know, some blackberries and raspberries and crap. And I start eating them. And I can actually, like, I can actually recognize the... Um, the dopamine sensors in my brain, the serotonin sensors just releasing like, like this is good. I'm happy. And, you know, and I thought it was just amazing that, that, you know, probably a lot of people don't aren't aware of what's going on, but just being an addict and going through those classes, I can tell when, you know, my, my happy sensors in my brain are letting me know that this is good. We're doing a good mm -hmm. thing right now. And so anyways, I mean, those are the types of stories and, and, and things that we can come back and try to help people, with um, the transition. I actually just started a blog too that was about um, helping people with addiction and, and, and whatnot. So I'm trying to, you know, reach out and help other people understand the confusing elements of getting clean and sober because it's not, it's not cut and dry. It's, it's, it's hard, you know, and, uh, and for people that are <clears throat> getting out after 10, 15 years, I mean, I only spent about a year at a time, two different times. And it was already weird because when you, when you get out of prison, you walk into a world that has passed you by and um, you know, you're still the same person mm -hmm. uh, theoretically. I mean, if you've done things in prison and you know, whatnot, you might be different, but you get out and you're in this world that you left and you're this, this one person, you come back and you almost revert back to being that person, but everybody else has moved on with their life. And so it throws us in a really weird mm -hmm. situation that I think would be, um, really beneficial for other people who have gone through that to come back and try to help these people similar to a sponsor, like what AA does and whatnot. Uh, first off. So what's the name of your blog? Oh, uh, the blog is uh, called from the, from the mind of an addict. And uh, basically the whole goal there still trying to hash it all out. But the whole idea there is to basically talk about my story, help other people be able to, um, uh, you know, deal with, different elements of being clean and sober and hopefully be able to help people like kind of like an Al Anon help people that have family members uh, or, you know, family members or friends that are dealing with addiction or dealing with recovery um, kind of come there and be able to understand, you know, what, what's going on inside an addict's mm -hmm. head. A couple of weeks back, I posted some stuff about triggers and whatnot. I put up some forms and, and whatnot so that you can be able to uh, 
kind of list triggers and you can kind of uh, evaluate triggers as you go. These are, these are things that I did in treatment and I'm kind of recreating them and giving them away for free on the blog so that people can, you know, you don't have a group. You're not being forced to do it like you are in treatment, but these are the things that help me kind of realize who I was and be more in tune with my body, my emotions, and just be able to understand what's going on up here. Because when I didn't understand what was going up on, on up here, you know, I was getting high and committing crimes. So <laughs> have you, uh, have you read chasing the scream or listen to the audio book chasing the scream by Johan Hari? Have you heard of him? Uh, no, no, I've heard of the name, but I haven't heard that. I haven't read that book. Yeah, no. he's he's been a guest on Felony Friday before too. He's been on Bill Maher and Joe Rogan and and all the big podcasts. Definitely check him out. But it made me think of it. One thing you were just talking about how when you when addicts get out of prison, or really when anyone gets out of prison, you know, life has kind of passed you by. And it's I agree. It's it's a very dangerous point because if you feel like life's passed you by, you feel helpless you, and you don't see any opportunity in front of you, anywhere to progress, that makes it so much easier to fall back into those old habits, right? So, I mean, what's what's the answer there? I guess outside of, I, th- I think that's a, I think you had, you had a great take there on bringing in people who have been through it before. Is, is that enough or really what else needs to be done um, or what else can be done? Well, so here's the biggest thing that I, I tell people, and this, this is something I do myself with with uh, anybody that's an old friend or anybody I meet that's going through this, because uh, I know just as well as anybody else that's been through this, uh, you can't do, like I said, you can't love somebody into sobriety. You cannot make somebody change. It's, um, I mean, there's always external forces and there's always internal forces, but the fact of the matter is that if you get clean and sober, you have to actually do it. You're you have to want to do it. It's, that's just the thing. So, uh, what I tell people all the time is, you know, just, uh, if you care about this person, just be there for them and let them know that, um, you know, that, that, you know, you'll, you love them. You'll be, you'll be there. You'll help them not financially all the time because helping somebody financially can turn into enabling. I mean, it's this, it's a thin line with your boundaries on being able to be there for somebody and help somebody be there emotionally for them and, and be able to help them, be a part of their support group and enabling them. It's, it's a very, very, very fine line. And so I, I guess if you, if people want to help anybody that they know coming out of prison or, or readjust, I would say that would probably be the best advice. Uh, do a little bit of reading on, on boundaries, pick up a couple books and figure out what the difference between enabling and, and uh, supporting somebody is because um, it's going to be different for each person. Some people have to, um, you know, some people you can't give them any money. Well, I, I guess before we move on, because I, I did want to talk to you about one more thing before we move on to that, though. So overall, First Step Act, you know, this little small piece of prison reform. I mean, are you in favor of it or do you think it, you know, we should hold out for more? Like, what's your what's your take on that? Well, you know, when, when we when we just sit there and hope for the, the magical policy that that's going to uh, satisfy, you know, all of us in this libertarian realm, um, it's it's not going to happen. And even between minarchists and, and anarchists, you're going to have a, a, a difference in what the magical legisla- legislation is going to be. And you're not going to get any legislation from the government that doesn't increase the budget in some way, shape, or form. So, I mean, with, with all that being taken into perspective, uh, I think that this does a lot more good than it does harm. And, I mean, with the uh, psilocyphalibin, uh 
decriminalized Denver. Mm-hmm. I think that was your show. Yeah. You know, coming, come, you know, coming through and, and, you know, reforms like this, we're moving towards a, a country that's taking a completely different look at uh, drug abuse and drug crimes and the way that we handle uh, these types of issues in, in the community and uh, in society as well. So I think that overall, this is a, this is a good policy. And I think that uh, uh, I personally am supporting this policy because I think that it does far more good than it does bad. Right on. Well, me too. You know, I'd say uh, it's one of those things. It's a, it's, yeah, it's a small step. It definitely doesn't go far enough, but it's a first step. Yeah, it's a first step. <laughs> yeah, first step. I like it. That's that's why they yeah. named it that. I get it now. But it's it's not like a, it's not like one of those laws like, or it was a ballot initiative. I think they had in Ohio to try to legalize cannabis a few years ago, and it moved like all this. It totally cronyized the industry. So, I mean, there's certain times when there's laws like that you should be against them because, I mean, they might legalize something or make something more free, but they do it at the expense of adding more corruption or something like that. There's always corruption in government. So, of course, this will add a little bit of corruption in places. But (laughs) generally, I mean, just the – I think the good outweighs the bad easily. And it's it's just – an opportunity to build some momentum and uh, and get some more things going right for prison reform and criminal justice reform overall. So I did want to talk to you about one more story, and I think this ties in sure. a, a little bit. Um, so this has been big in, in my neck of the woods in Pennsylvania, and I've heard rumors about this being the case. I hadn't looked into it, but sure enough, it, it, this definitely is the case. So what this is, in Pennsylvania, medical marijuana is legal now. And I'd heard that if you admitted to a doctor that you were using medical marijuana, that then that could come back on your federal firearms check and you could not be able to to get a weapon. Turns out that's true because that happened to a doctor in Philadelphia. This 34-year-old guy, uh, Matthew Roman, he told his doctor that he was using medical marijuana. He went to buy a firearm, went to buy a handgun, and it came up on his background check that he was a marijuana user, and per that, they stopped him. He failed the background check. He wasn't able to purchase a firearm. He is filing a federal suit, and what this goes back to is a 1968 law that forbids anyone who uses marijuana from owning or using a firearm. And I think it was kind of important to bring this up today as we're talking about reform and things like that, especially with Jeff Sessions being out now as attorney general and Trump, when, even when Trump was running, he was talking about giving marijuana back to the states. So this could be happening yeah. soon. A lot of people don't know that they could lose their right to lose their Second Amendment right, have it taken away if they partake in a legal, uh, you know, a legal transaction when marijuana does become decriminalized, legalized, etc. So, what, what, what's your thoughts on this? I mean, I, I, I think I asked you this when you were on last time, but you know, as a as a felon, somebody's been through. You did get your gun rights back, right? I believe so. So <clears throat> the way it goes in Idaho is that you get your uh, you get your civil rights back, but you have to you have a five uh, year 
uh, lapse, okay. and then you have to still petition to get your gun rights back. But that still doesn't qualify me for handguns and stuff, only like hunting type of okay. rifles and stuff, which is completely ridiculous because hunting doesn't have anything to do with the Second Amendment. And you're talking about giving somebody their Second Amendment rights right. back, and it has a, you know, it's more about defending yourself. So I don't see why we have to limit what guns somebody like me, not especially like a nonviolent um, criminal, you know, or felon you know why we have to limit somebody else's or our, our constitutional rights so i mean like it's not like they're going to take away my first amendment right and then say oh well now you have a right to speak but you can only say these certain words you can't say these words you know it's limiting somebody's constitutional right you know it's a, it's a natural right it's not issued to us by the government it's it was inherent before there was government and then the, and then the constitution kind of set it up in order to make sure that congress didn't uh, infringe on these rights but um you know, obviously we can see that that was a complete sham in 2018 Mm-hmm. Um, so as far as marijuana goes, if, I mean, we're going to get, hopefully we can sway public opinion enough that, uh, that we can do away with the particular, uh, law that, that you're talking about with, uh, uh about if you can't have, it's a, you said it's a 1968 law yeah. or something like that, that says you can't uh, own a firearm if you use marijuana. I mean, it's, it's. It's ridiculous, but I mean, I think what's probably going to happen before that is it's is we're probably going to have legalized marijuana uh, nationwide. It's probably going to be something that the federal government's probably going to do away with uh, legalized mar or with making marijuana illegal. It's it's it is going that way, and I think that something if he doesn't win this case now, I think that it's only a matter of time until. Uh, which I hate saying that because of course it's a matter of time, but I think it's sooner rather than later that mm-hmm. that whenever country moves towards decriminalizing or legalizing marijuana on a federal level, this, this type of, uh, 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 law will just die with it. Yeah. Well, this, I mean, this case could go to the Supreme court and this could get rid of it. This could be what kills it. So that's, well, that's hopefully because hopefully because it, it doesn't like, like, I know it's a law, but it's, it's a completely unjust law. I mean, it's not, I mean, if we want to talk about uh, substances that are, uh, uh, you know, uh, what substance is worse or what substance can uh, uh, debilitate you more is, is alcohol. Uh, alcohol is actually the worst drug on the on the planet. It, it affects more parts of your body. Alcohol actually affects every part of your body, including your hair and your eyesight and every long-term alcohol use is horrible. That and barbiturates are the only substances that you can actually physically die from withdrawals. Uh, a lot of people say you can die from withdrawal from heroin, but it's it, you can't. It's not, and not unless you kill yourself or, or something like that. But um, it's barbiturates and alcohol that you can actually die. So, I mean, we're talking about a substance that's legal. It's the most dangerous substance. I mean, I, I would think that tobacco is probably right behind it in one mm-hmm. of the most dangerous substances. But, I mean, as far as uh, affecting you uh, psychologically, you know, affecting your judgment while you're under the influence, I mean, we're not limiting – we're not telling people that if you drink alcohol, you can't own a firearm. Right. You know, I mean, it's, it's – Good point. It's, complete, it's a completely ridiculous uh, uh, law. And, and I, I do hope it goes to the Supreme Court and I because I do think that it will be struck down. Once again, there's there's a whole different view of marijuana in the country today. And uh, I'm really happy in the direction it's going, which is – it's crazy to hear somebody who – I get this from a lot of people. It's crazy to hear somebody who was, you know, a homeless, uh, intravenous drug user, you know, sit there and say, uh, you know, all drugs should be legal, you know, uh, because – People think that I would be an advocate against drugs, but in actuality, it's, it has nothing to do with whether I like drugs or whether I don't. Mm-hmm. It has to do with uh, has to do with property rights, and I mean, it's the same story that I'm sure everybody listens to this show is well versed in. I mean, it's it 
if somebody's putting something into their body and they're not hurting anybody else, not taking anything that doesn't belong to them, um, then there's not a problem. You know, I have a guy that I kind of, I've been trying to convert for a while. He's a, he's a buddy of mine. He's a, he's a really cool guy, but he's always asking me questions. And so he was asking me about that. He goes, so we should have, um, you know, so we should try somebody for drugs if they steal something. And I said, well, no, because you have a, you have a crime now that's been committed. You, you have to address the crime. It, mm-hmm. you know, it does the alcohol or the drugs don't, don't really matter as much. I mean, once again, that's still somebody's personal choice, but if they've committed a crime or if they've acted that way, even under the influence and they have to, you know, basically, you know, face the music for the crime they committed, whether it's restitution or a jail sentence or whatever it may be. So still, no, we're not talking about applying a, a drug crime to these people. If they commit like a, a, an assault or steal something, we just focus on what the crime is, not the substance that's in their body. Right on, man. And uh, yeah, I think the country is changing specifically with regards to a law like this. Well, you know, I, I shouldn't say that because about the half the country country wants nobody to have gun rights in the first place. But, <laughs> yeah. So let's ignore those people because they're hopeless, probably. <laughs> the, the half that does want gun rights, so the more conservative libertarian types, I would think that probably the a safe majority, a healthy majority of those would be in opposition to this law. And that would include even older people in their 50s and 60s and 70s. I, I think sort of the, the conservative outlook on rights has, has matured and would look at this 1968 law and say, and as I guess matured around marijuana uh, more so, and would look at this and say, that's ridiculous. Yeah, what's the difference between you know, getting blacked out drunk and then you still have your gun rights the next day or smoking a blunt and then you lose your gun rights the next day. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. Makes zero sense at all. But Rocky, I know you're in a uh, in a spot there where you, uh, you just got your truck offloaded and you got to get back yeah. on the road. But uh, before I let you go, tell everybody where they can find your podcast. I, I know you do a bunch of writing out there where they can find your articles yeah. and whatnot. Just uh, plug away, man. So I've actually, I actually wrote uh, an article, kind of a, you know, quasi policy analysis of this that's going to be up on, um, I think this one will be up on beinglibertarian.org. It might be at uh, uh, Think Liberty. I'll get you the link so that you can put it in the show notes. Other than that, you can also just go to rockyferenberg.com. That's R O C K Y F E R R E N B U R G. I've really got to work on my branding because that last name kills. I'll tell you. <laughs> but but uh, uh, at at that at my site, you can basically see the writings I have posted. You can see the Noisemaker podcast. The blog is there. Everything is on a one page right there. So um, that's kind of a one stop shop for everything. But like I said, there I will have a policy analysis up for this the day that this comes out. So you guys can stop over there and kind of read a little bit more on, on my opinion on uh, uh, the first step. And uh, the podcast, where can people find that? What's, what's, what's the podcast about real quickly? Give it a little overview. Okay, so the, the podcast is actually centered around taking inter, uh, underground, independent, and unsigned bands, and we give them an interview-style platform to showcase their music. Being a musician, I think that this is really important for uh, people to be able to discover, you know, not the same 30 or 40 watered-down bands that are played on the radio all the time. And so I take these bands, and it's not a specific genre. I just did. I Actually, the one coming out today, it'll be out the same day this airs, is a... Um, um, is a surf rock rockabilly band from uh, Rhode Island, you know, and oh, nice. I have metal country. 
I mean, I got all kinds of artists on there. I try to make sure that it's very eclectic in that sense. But yeah, so it's called the Noisemaker Podcast, and it's on, um, as far as I know, every every platform. I downloaded some pretty obscure platforms to see if it was there, and it was there. So, um, I mean, we're on iHeartRadio, everything. So, um, but if you want to stream it off uh, off uh, your browser, it's noisemakerpod.com, and you can basically stream all the episodes right there. All right, Rocky. Well, I'll let you get back on the road and uh, Thanks, enjoy buddy. enjoy your next couple of days off for, for Thanksgiving, and we'll talk soon. Yes, have a good Thanksgiving. Thank you very much, John. I appreciate right. it. We'll see you, man. Bye. Hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Rocky Ferenberg. This is a guy that just keeps on going, man. Has the podcast. He's writing. He's driving his riggies in school. He has like seven degrees. He's been to prison. He was an addict. He's sober now. Really an incredible, incredible dude. And I was really happy he was able to line up this time to get to speak with him today to get his views on this because I do respect his opinions greatly and I think he is able to communicate them in a very succinct and uh, easy to uh, digest manner. So I was really happy to have him on. And I say I was glad I was able to because it was it looked for a while like I might not be able to uh, to, to speak with him this week. He's had a, the past two days talking back, back and forth with Rocky have been interesting. Uh, he's had probably about the worst two days I could imagine. I mean, not like terrible things happening, sort of comical things, I guess, from my perspective, not happening to me, but his phone breaking, his computer not working, and um, his rig, having to take his rig into the shop, and just everything that could go wrong went wrong. And luckily, on my end, I was more flexible this week and was able to move some things around, and we got this interview in. was really excited to do that because this is so important to talk about. So this week, we talked about prison reform, which was great. Next week, I have an interview uh, set up. I'm talking to a lady who just has an incredible story. Um, She was falsely accused and convicted on a conspiracy charge, convicted as essentially a drug kingpin when she had zero involvement in the uh, transactions happening, zero evidence, her residence was never raided. They never found any drugs, never found any text messages, never found anything incriminating. Yet she spent 15 years in prison and she's out now, which is great. But if that isn't cool enough, I mean that she's out, it's not cool. She spent 15 years in prison. She's a lawyer now. She got her freaking, um, she got sworn into the bar. She had already gone to law school before going to prison, but now she's, she's a uh, official lawyer. She's a uh, She passed her bar, and she got sworn in. So I can't wait for you guys to hear her story, not only from just a you know, criminal injustice aspect of it, you know, shining a light on it, just from a motivational standpoint. I think there's so much to take away from my guest next week, Lisa Hanna, about how you know, so many of us have goals, things we want to accomplish, things that are out, <clears throat> out in the distance that we, the, we see them, but we can't quite you know reach them and we we can't quite visualize how to get there um my conversation with lisa i think really crystallizes a few key things that are going to help you reach your goals because this is a woman who has been through the ringer and came out the other side and she went to prison for 15 years and she's a lawyer so it's a credible story. That is next week on Felony Friday, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed your Thanksgiving today, or 
Sorry, yesterday, I'm recording this before Thanksgiving, actually very early, early in the morning uh, on Thanksgiving Day. But hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you got enough turkey, enough uh, pumpkin pie, apple pie, whatever your your favorite type of pie is. Pie's my favorite. I love pie. I would eat any kind of pie, basically. That's not true. Um, cherry pie, apple pie. Those are my two go-tos. But anyway, guys, enjoy the rest of your long weekend, and I'll talk to you all next week. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.